bless you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be with you guys. As Leslie said, this is kind of like what it is for me every Sunday in Indonesia. Last time I preached, it was so hot, I was using my computer screen or my MacBook to, to scroll to the next, um, my notes, and my fingers were so sweaty, I, it wouldn't work. It was just, I was just like doing this number the whole time. But it's so good to be with you guys. You know, I've been looking at my calendar of where I was going to be speaking and, you know, over the next few months. And when I, I was looking at, you know, this date and I was, this has been on my uh, heart to come here for, for quite some time. I'm so excited to be with you guys. I wanted to come here because you guys have made an impact. And I'm going to share with you just in a few moments how this church has impacted an orphanage about 8,000 miles away from here. And it's just amazing what you guys have done. And so I'm going to share that with you in just a few moments. But before I do that, I just introduced myself. My name is Kent and uh, Kent Parrish. I'm from, uh, from Nelson County, from Louisville, Central Kentucky is where I grew up. My wife is, um, you can go to the next slide there. My, this is my wife on the left side. She grew up in L.A., that's lower Alabama. And uh, uh, that's where she grew up. And uh, we've been married since, gosh, Yesterday we celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary, hard to believe, and uh, we've uh, got three kids, two of them are uh, with me this morning. Uh, Chloe uh, was born in the Philippines where we began our missionary career, and then Levi, uh, my son here on my right here, uh, was also born in the Philippines, he just turned eight, and then our son Caleb, he's our only American child, he was born in Lexington, and uh, he's four years old, and so we've been serving on the mission field since June of 2008, we got married June 2006, our second wedding anniversary was celebrated on the mission field in the Philippines, and we did some awesome things in the Philippines, you guys have been partnering with us, we were able to plant house churches and so forth, and in about 2016, the Lord began to speak to our heart about the nation of Indonesia. I don't know how familiar you are with Indonesia. Most Americans are not too familiar with Indonesia, and I say it's because we've never had a war <laughs> with Indonesia. But it's the fourth largest nation in the world. You can go to the next slide. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, let's, let's get, we'll come back to that. Just go to the next one. I'm sorry. It's the uh, fourth largest nation in the world. In about 2016, we were very happy in the Philippines. We'd been there for 10 years. But the Lord began to speak to us, and it began to uh, speak to our hearts and specific, specifically began to say, would you be willing to go to a more difficult place? And uh, we felt like that was what the Lord was speaking to us about the nation of Indonesia. Indonesia, like I mentioned, is the fourth largest nation in the world. It's the largest Muslim-majority country in the world. Okay, so 87% of the people in Indonesia are of the Islamic faith, and it's a nation of 250 million people. So there are more Muslims in Indonesia than the whole Arab world, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, uh, more Muslims in Indonesia than the whole Arab world combined. So it's a ton of uh, lost people there. And so in 2017, we made the decision to transition to Indonesia, and uh, man, it was it been more difficult? Absolutely, absolutely. It's been a, a definitely more difficult than we were serving. But it's the, uh, it has over about 584 languages, about 670 different people groups, and that's just basically, you know, it's not, um, you know, like in America, we have rednecks, we have, no, no, I'm joking. But, uh, you know, it's just different people groups that come from, like, different islands and so forth and have different languages. But uh, anyway, that's just, the, that's where we are, and about 200 million people with no chance to hear. There are, there are, this is Vanceburg, right? Yeah. So there are areas in Indonesia the size of Vanceburg that, that no church at all, zero Christians, Okay, just imagine that. You know, I was on the way from Lexington this morning, and I must have passed by at least 40 churches to get here. I mean, just maybe even 50 churches, churches I didn't even see. But there are areas in this part of the world in which we are serving, there is not one single church in a community of maybe 30 or 40,000 people. It could be a community of 40,000 people without one single church. 
you know, and no chance to hear the gospel. And so that's why we go. And we just want to say thank you guys for allowing us to go. I, I will just say this is not part of my notes, but the church is growing faster today than ever before in its history, guys. It's amazing what God is doing around the world. I know in America right now it's not, it's not growing the way we want it to, but around the world the church is growing. And that tells me one thing. I believe we're really close to the return of the Lord. I believe we got two minutes to go, and it's the fourth quarter, and there's no overtime, all right? That's how close we are. And I just, I look here, and I see all these people here this morning. Man, I remember when you guys first got started, Leslie and Pastor Ben, and it's just amazing to see what God is doing here in this community, and people getting saved. How many of you got saved in this church? You started coming here, and you got to say, wow, praise God, praise God. That is just amazing. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop preaching there. Go to the next slide there, Leslie. I'm sorry. I get a, it's just amazing. But one of our theme verses is Romans 10, 14. It says, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher or a missionary or someone going? How will they preach unless they are sent? And I just say thank you for sending us to Indonesia and before that to the Philippines. Your investment is reaping a harvest. You can go to the next slide. You know, when we first got to Indonesia, we had to go through language school, and language school normally takes about nine months, but because I did so well in language school, they kept me for 18 months. Yeah, some of you got that figured out. It took me a long time. I was just learning Kentucky English, let alone a foreign language, but after we got out of language school, we moved to the capital city of Jakarta, a small little city of about 10 million people, and uh, we began to work with people that we did not even know existed in this in the capital city and these were refugees from Afghanistan and from Iran and from Pakistan we didn't even know these people existed these were people who were trying to escape persecution in Afghanistan you know the war that's been going on there for many years and for the last hundred years there's always a war there but uh, these guys are from Afghanistan and they've moved to Indonesia trying to escape persecution trying to start a new life well the problem is when they come the Indonesian government doesn't want them there they're like, look, we, don't, we can't take care of our own people, let alone take care of you. And so they're not allowed to work. They have no health care, no medical, nothing. They just come with what they get in their backpacks or suitcases, and that's it. And so many of these folks that we discovered were living in like, a, in like an abandoned warehouse, living like in something, well, not this nice, but living in like an abandoned warehouse with, of course, no air con, <laughs> but, uh, and just living inside tents. And so we began to partner with another ministry that was already ministering to these folks just by going in and providing food and clothing and shelter and helping with medical expenses. And I say we, you, you are the ones who did this because you give us the support every month that allows us to go out and do this. And so we will begin to partner with these guys and just showing the love of Christ to them. And you know what? They always ask, why are you Christians? Because these are all Muslims. They're like, why are you Christians being so good to us? And of course, you know the answer. Jesus. Jesus. And so here we are in this nation. It's 87% Islamic. And the Muslims of that nation are not helping these refugees from Afghanistan and Pakistan. It's the Christians who are in the minority that are helping. And so I just say thank you to that, to you guys for allowing us to go and for partnering with us. You can go to the next one. It's just another picture. It's my wife here. Um, what I've learned about ministry, it's all about relationships, relationships, relationships. And my wife and I, my wife's really good at it, better than I am. Uh, she was just meeting with these re uh, refugees. Go to the previous slide. These um, 
refugees from, from the Middle East and just showing the love of Christ, taking them out to eat, sharing the good news with them. This girl right here on my right is a young girl from Afghanistan that was married off when she was 13 years old, a forced marriage. By the time she was 14, she had a child, a very abusive, uh, horrific relationship, escaped the country, moved to Indonesia, and is now uh, being pursued by God. All right, I'll just leave it at that. She's dating a guy who is a house church leader, and God is chasing her down, is showing his love to her. And we believe that within the next few months that this, this young lady is going to come to know the Lord as well. But just amazing that this girl who is unheard of, you don't know her name, you've never heard of her before, yet God is pursuing her and pursuing him with his love uh, so that she will one day become a follower as well. You can go to the next slide. Uh, we had a Christmas party in our house, and we invited these ladies from Afghanistan to come to a Christmas party that had never heard the Christmas story. Can you imagine? How many times have you heard the Christmas story? A thousand at least. I mean, you can't escape it when you live in Kentucky. There's nativity scenes everywhere, right? These guys had never heard the Christmas story, never heard about the birth of Jesus, since my wife was just able to explain to them about the birth of Christ and what that means for our hope and our salvation and our future and our eternity. You go to the next slide. And um, this is just another picture. This man here on the right, he asked, uh, he was a Muslim from Afghanistan. He said, what, he, we asked him, we said, how can we help you? And he said, all I want is just a blanket to sleep on at night. I have nothing to sleep on. And so we just took funds that you guys send us. And you know what we did? We bought him a blanket and just showed the love of Christ. Once again, why are you Christians being so good to us? Why are you doing this? Able to share Jesus. Go to the next slide. We also get our kids involved. Every time we do something, we want to go in and we want to involve our kids because they're as much of a part of our ministry as we are. Matter of fact, the kids open up doors that mom and dad can't, and because of their influence, it opens up doors for us to minister. We partner with some of our local Assembly of God churches in Jakarta. You know, I know COVID was bad here, but in, in, in Indonesia, everything was shut down for about two years. I mean, churches are still shut down, whether they're just now opening up like this month. And so many people couldn't work. They had no food. These are very poor people. Make 5 to $10 a day, right? And so a lot of these churches were trying to do outreaches. And so we came in and partnered with them using BGMC funds. I saw that buddy barrel, praise God, and funds that you guys send us. And we were able to just provide food and relief through the local church. And so the people know, hey, this is not the missionary. This is the local church that's helping us. And so that's a connection for these people, these uh Muslim people in these villages to connect with one of our local churches. You can go to the next slide. And this is the one I wanted to get to. This is the one I'm most excited about because this is the one that is totally 100% you guys. Uh, about a year ago, I was talking to Pastor Ben and I was telling him about a, a ministry that we'd partner with in Papua, Indonesia. There was a ministry there. It's operated by one of our AG churches that, there, and uh, he started an orphanage. Let me explain to you why he did this. So many of the children there, their parents have died of AIDS. AIDS is quite common, or they've died of something else, and so they truly are orphaned children. And so there was no place for these children to go, and some of these Islamic mosques would come in and say, oh, we'll take the children, we'll take the children, and they were taking them to their training centers and indoctrinating them with all things Islam. And so this pastor said, you know what, this is just not right. We don't want to lose these kids to Islam. We want these kids to know Jesus. And so he started this orphanage and began to just bring in kids. When I say he started, he had nothing, I mean nothing, like, you know, less than $100 to even begin to start this type of ministry. So he started bringing in all these kids who were orphaned and so forth, and they were sleeping on, I'm telling you, maybe mats about as thick as the heel of my shoes. I mean, nothing. 
And I was telling Pastor Ben about, I don't even know how we got this conversation going, Pastor, but we were just talking. I was like, hey, if you want to reach out, if you want to do something, I've got a project for you. And you guys gave all the funds that we needed to go out and buy like 30 or 40 new mattresses for these kids. And it all came from this church. And I just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And this is something, these guys, this is a, this is a church that's 8,000 miles from here. It's halfway around the world. You go any further, you're coming back home, okay? I mean, it's like out there close to Australia. And you guys have made an impact. And I just, I just thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for your sacrificial giving. And just uh, any of you that gave towards this, and you may think, I didn't know we did this. Well, you did. <laughs> and so just thank you guys for providing these mattresses so that these kids can sleep at night and they're well-rested. And it's something that you guys have done. It's something you can be proud of. And it's something that, that right here in Vanceburg, Kentucky, you're making an impact halfway around the world. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. All right? Let's go to the next. Uh, I think this is about it. This is the pastor, this guy right here. This is the guy that has the orphanage, and so he's, uh, he's so thankful for you guys, and uh, I almost had a, was going to have him send a greeting, but I didn't know if it would come through well or not, but anyway, we were also able to buy this guy a van using BGMC funds. Uh, he needed a van. It's about $10,000. We were able to give him $7,000 uh, to buy this van so that he can haul these kids around for medical or whatever they need to do and so forth, and once again, thank you guys for making a difference. Is that it? This is the last slide. You saw this on CNN, didn't you? Did you see this on CNN? Fox News? No, you didn't. You know what? If they sow newspapers in heaven, this would be on the front page. This is a church plant happening in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a jungle, in the middle of a swamp, with uh, out in the middle of, like I said, the sticks. All right, we all understand. We're, from, we're Kentucky folk, right? We understand the sticks. This is the sticks. You may think you live in the sticks. This is the sticks. This is out in the middle of nowhere. And this is a church plant that's taking place. And it's one of my favorite pictures. I always share this because, like I shared earlier, the church is growing today faster than it ever has in its history. And this is the stuff that gets God's attention. Church plants taking place around the world in the middle of nowhere. You're not going to see it on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. You're not going to see it on CNN or Fox News. But this is the stuff that's happening around the world that's changing lives. And I just want to say thank you to you guys for partnering with us. We've been able to partner with this church to a degree. We're still working on getting some funds to him. But thank you for allowing us to, to partner with these pastors and so forth as they plant churches in the middle of nowhere. Praise God. Amen. You okay? You're good? All right? You're looking good? All right, I think that's it, Leslie. We'll skip that video right now. Let's go to the next slide. This is our friend B. He's from Iran. This is an amazing story. You know, in Iran, the mosques are empty. Just absolutely empty. Nobody is going. Islam is, is crumbling at the cracks. Since September 11th, 2001, more missionaries have been going to the Arab world and Islamic world than ever before. People think of September 11th, 2001 as a really dark day in our history of our country, and it really was. But from that has uh, propelled missionaries by the thousands from all different denominations that are now going to reach Muslims for Jesus, and it's just amazing. Uh, what God is doing. So that thing that was very dark is producing a great light uh, for many people in the world. This is our friend B. He's from Iran. One night, he was a drug dealer in Iran. It's a good way to get yourself killed. But he was a drug dealer in Iran, and he was doing a drug deal one night that went bad, and uh, he got stabbed in the heart, literally stabbed with like a knife in the heart. 
He hit the ground, was bleeding to death, passed out, and while he was out, there was a, he, he, his story goes something like this. He said, there was a man in white who came to me. He reached down, he touched my heart, he pulled it out, and he put a new heart in. He woke up several hours, three or four hours later. There was no blood on the sidewalk. He felt fine. He got up. He went home. He began to talk to his mom and asking her, what was, who is this man in white? She's like, I, I, I think I know, but I don't know for sure. Your aunt over here, she's a Christian. Let's go talk to her. And so he went and began to talk to his aunt. And his aunt told him, said, said that, that was Jesus. That was Jesus that came and touched you. And he was so overwhelmed with just the love of Christ, he got on his knees, gave his heart to Jesus. And now this guy is a refugee in Indonesia. And, I mean, he is the Billy Graham of refugees. This guy shares Jesus with anybody and everybody that he goes to. And he's the least of these. He's a guy that you're never going to read a book about probably, but he's going to be one of the famous ones in heaven because he just shares Jesus with absolutely everyone. And I just share that story to encourage you that God is still moving. God is still touching lives. People are still coming to know the Christ uh, by the thousands every single day. And so thank you guys. I think that's it. Yep, is that it? That's it. We'll just call it quits after that. This is our next term, what we're going to be doing. We're gonna, we found out that a lot of young um, Indonesians want to learn English. And you say, why do they want to learn English? Well, if you can speak English, you can get a much better job. English is the business language of the world. It's the academic language of the world. It's the political language of the world. At the UN, they speak English, right? And so if you can speak English, you've got a much better chance of getting a really good job. And so a lot of young Indonesians are looking for opportunities to learn English. Well, some of our missionary friends have started these uh, English services where they are have a church service just like this, except it's all in English. And guess who's coming? Young Muslim men and women are coming because they want to learn English. And guess what textbook we use to teach them English? The Bible. We use the Bible to teach them English. And many of them were teaching them English worship songs and teaching from the Bible. And many of them are getting saved. They're learning English, but they're getting saved as well just by coming to a service. And so when we go back, this is a door, this is an opportunity God has opened up for us to go and to start these international English services uh, to attract young Muslim people uh, and older as well that want to learn English. And so and we'll be doing church planning, continuing to do our compassion ministries and so forth, training pastors. And uh, yeah, so... Have I said thank you yet? Did I say that yet? Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you guys so much for your, for your continued partnership. We'll skip that video for right now and uh, maybe come back to that later. But anyway, you guys okay? You're breathing? You need oxygen? You're okay? All right. I got one courtesy laugh here. Well, I want to share with you this morning. just want to share with you this morning from Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Before I do that, I just feel impressed of the Lord to just share a little bit of my testimony. Um, you know, before I became a Christian, I was, you know, I was a party guy. I, mean, I was partying all the time, drinking all the time. Um, you know, I was a, I grew up Methodist. I grew up a backslidden Methodist. <laughs> I went to church, but boy, there was none of the church in me. I was just out drinking and carousing and doing all the things, you know, that, that uh, sinners do. And uh, I'll never forget... I was in a bar one night, um, and I was in this bar, and I just, you know, it was crowded. There was like hundreds of people, but I felt so alone, 
and I just was by myself, and I'll never forget if I've ever heard God speak to me. It was in that bar, and I remember the Lord saying, is this really what you want for your life? Is this really what you want? And I walked out of that bar just, you know, I don't think I was sobbing, but I was just very sad, and I was like, no, this is not what I want. I, I walked out of that bar, and I, I was in college, and I walked home. I think it was like December. It was like 20 degrees. Uh, you know, I should have got a taxi, but I was just walking home and just, you know, so sad and so uh, despondent, you know, because I was like, no, that's not what I want for my life. I want more than that for my life. And shortly thereafter, I gave my heart to the Lord. It was a long process. God had to do a lot of work in my life to get me to where I need to be. But, you know, I wasn't born a missionary. I wasn't, you know, I'm not the son of a missionary. I, you know, I'm the son of a church treasurer. You know, <laughs> my, my mother was a church treasurer. But, I, you know, I, I just, I share that with you. I, because sometimes people like me are sometimes elevated to a higher degree than we should be. I'm not anything other than just somebody who was very lost and is now happily saved <laughs> by the blood of Jesus. And if you're sitting here this morning and you think, boy, I, you know, I could never do what he what he's doing or anything like that just wipe that clean from your mind right now because that is not true that is the devil telling you that um god if god can work through me listen he can work through anybody i mean absolutely anybody and so i just share that with you to encourage you don't let your past hold you back from what god has for you in your future and in your present right now and i just see so many christians you know and they're like, well, I used to be this, I used to be that. And it's, 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 it's a used to be. We don't live in used to be. We don't live there. We live right now in Christ. And so even if you made a bad mistake two weeks ago, you can go forward. You can go forward with Christ. Every day is a new day. And I just share that with you. I was at the Dollar General store the other night. There's like thousands of them in Kentucky, you know. And I was at the store, and I was uh, ran into an old high school friend. I went to college with him as well. And he began to remind me of all the things I well, used to be like. He's like, I remember when you used to drink this, and you used to buy these beers, and you used to do this, and you used to do that. And drugs were not a big problem for me because that was not really common in my part of the where I lived. Thank God it wasn't a, a big issue. And, 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 and so I was just, you know, I just drank a lot, you know, and so forth. And he was just reminding me of all the things I used to be, chasing girls. I chased them. They never stopped. I just kept chasing, chasing, chasing. That's why I stayed so skinny. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, he was just reminding me of all the things I used to be. And he wasn't being mean or hateful. But I got in my car, and I was going home. And I was like, God, you have given me a totally new identity. I didn't hardly recognize that old guy. And I was just like, it was just such a, a great moment, you know, even though he's telling me all the things I used to be. It was just such a great moment because it was like, I have a new identity in Christ. And so do you as well. Well, praise God. Let's go. I, I won't keep you long, but I do want to share with you just a brief brief word uh, this morning, something that you can hopefully can take with you that will impact your life this week. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It goes something like this. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. 
throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, came to Jesus, and he said, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, and Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Lord Jesus, I pray in the next few moments that your spirit would commune with our spirits, God. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, God, and that, Lord, when we leave this service, we can say to one another, surely the presence of the Lord was there. Lord, touch our hearts in such a way that we go out uh, changed, that we go out encouraged, that we go out ready to serve you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Verse 46 says, when they came to Jericho, there was a large crowd. Now, I want you to picture this poor man, Bartimaeus, he's blind, he's sitting on the side of the road, he's a beggar, and he's reaching out to Jesus, he's crying out to Jesus, people are all talking, people are all shouting, and yet he's trying to make his voice heard above the crowd. And that's the world in which we live in today. We live in a very noisy society. It is noisy on Facebook, it's noisy on Twitter, it's noisy on 24-7 cable news. It's a very noisy world that we live in. Many crowds are loud and proud and in your face. There's thousands of voices screaming wherever you go. Just everywhere you go, there's a noise, there's a crowd. And yet the crowd is never so large that Jesus cannot hear you or see you. When I was in that bar that night with hundreds of other people, loud music, smoke, drink everywhere, drunk people, yet in the midst of that craziness, when I, at that time, I was crying out to the Lord. I was seeking God. I just hadn't come to know the Lord yet. And yet in the midst of that craziness, I hear the Lord speak to me. Is this really what you want? And I encourage you, as this world is getting crazier and crazier and, and there's, it's louder and louder and the crowds are larger and larger, I encourage you, keep your heart tender towards the things of God so that you can hear him when he speaks to you. Verse 47 says, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I love the faith of Bartimaeus. It says he continued to shout. Maybe he was the first Pentecostal. I don't know. But it's interesting. He continued to shout the name Jesus, son of David. Now, I wonder, why did he continue to say Jesus, son of David? Why not just save his breath and say, Jesus, hey, I'm over here. Why did he continue to say Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David? In that day and age, Jesus was a common name, kind of like Kent, Ben, Leslie, very common names. But there was only one person who could, call, who could be called Jesus, son of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from the line of David. The very first verse we read in the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. 
What Bartimaeus was actually saying is, I know who you are. You come from the line of David. You're not just any Jesus. You're the Messiah. You are God in flesh. Many people thought Jesus was a good teacher. Even his disciples, they were not fully convinced that he was who he said he was. Many thought he was a good teacher. Many thought he was a prophet. A faith healer. But not many people recognized that Jesus was God. And though the eyes of Bartimaeus were blind, the eyes of his soul could see very clear. He knew that Jesus was more than just a rabbi. He was indeed the Son of God. And I pray this morning that you and I would have the faith, the insight, that God would give us the ability to see him for who he really is. In our day and age, Jesus is referred to many things. I heard some reporter talking about the man upstairs. You ever talked about, ever heard God referred to as the man upstairs? Sounds like a title of a really bad, scary movie. The man upstairs, or, or, or this title, or that title. And may you and I, in these days, as we are coming to the end of these days, may we recognize the real Jesus. May we, if, if it's at any time, if it's at any time, may we recognize who Jesus really is. There are many wolves in sheep's clothing today, church. Many. Your pastor's not one of them. You've got a good pastor, praise God. If you had more of you could have said amen, but that's okay. I'll come back. But may we recognize who Jesus really is. May we recognize Jesus, the son of David, the soon coming king, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified on the cross, three days later rose from the grave. The reason I share that with you is because Jesus can be many things. He can be your vending machine. That's some preaching going on right now. Jesus will give you what you want. Just give this $1,000 seed offering and you'll get what you need. You see that on TV, right? You know it, what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, I want you to recognize the true Jesus so that you can follow him, Jesus, the son of David. Don't be led astray by all these false Jesuses. Many rebuked him, verse 48. It says, many rebuked him in the crowd. Many rebuked Bartimaeus, and they told him to what? Be quiet. But the scripture says, he shouted all the more. He shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. We live in a culture where Christians are told to be quiet. Your opinion doesn't count. We don't want your truth. We're loud. We're proud. Don't tell us what's right or wrong. My body, my choice. You Christians, just sit down and be quiet. But when the crowd rebukes you because of your faith in Christ and your stand for Christ, I encourage you, shout all the more. Shout all the more. This is not the time to be quiet. This is not the season to be quiet. This is because people's lives are on the line. Their eternal salvation is on the line. Now, people in that day and age believed that illness and disability were a punishment from God. So they believed that probably because Bartimaeus was blind was because he had sinned or because his parents had sinned. 
and so that God was judging him. And if you have that belief system right now, can I just tell you that's just not true? If you're struggling with a sickness, it's not because God's punishing you. If bad things have happened to you, it's not because God hates you or is punishing you. That's not true. That's not true at all. But in that day and age, many people believe that. They believe that, well, he's sick, uh, he's blind because of something that he's done. And so the people were like, well, hey, you deserve that. You just sit over there and keep begging. You deserve your blindness. Look at you. You've got some sin there that you're, that you're, that you're, that you're hiding. There's sin in your life. That's why you're, you're sick. And don't we sometimes do that, though, guys? Don't we sometimes look at people and say, well, you know what? It's your problem. You, you're hooked on drugs. It's your fault that your life's a mess. Has anybody ever done that besides me? Hey, it's your fault that your marriage ended in divorce. You, you cheated on him. That's why it ended in divorce. Hey, you, you got what you deserve, Bartimaeus. And the list goes on and on. You're getting what you deserve because you, you spent all your money on lottery tickets. That's why you don't have any money. You've wasted all your money on drugs. And now you, you know, that, that's why you're broke all the time. And it may be correct. It may be true that the results of our decisions cause harm to our lives and to the lives of others. But that does not disqualify people from coming to Christ. Christ came for the broken. And you may not be physically blind, but we can be spiritually blind. And Christ came for the Bartimaeuses of the world. He came for those who are unclean. So they rebuked him. Be quiet. Stop bothering God. Stop bothering Jesus. Now maybe no one has ever rebuked you and told you to stop bothering God with your prayers, but I'm sure the devil has told you many times, stop praying, stop serving, stop focusing on God. The devil's probably whispered in your ear, just be quiet, live your life, stop believing God to answer your prayers. It doesn't have to be a crowd, it can just be him. And it can sound like 10,000 people telling you just to live your life, Stop believing God. Stop believing for the salvation of your loved ones. Stop believing for the salvation of your friends. Stop believing for the restoration of a broken marriage. Stop believing for, for, for the restoration of a broken friendship or a broken family. The devil can whisper very loudly in our ears. For Bartimaeus, it was the crowd. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. But when the people told him to be quiet, the scripture says he shouted all the more. Which in the Greek translation, what that means is he shouted all the more. <laughs> he shouted louder and louder and louder. Now, I don't think we have to shout to get God's attention, but I do believe we need to be persistent. What would have happened if when the crowd said, Bartimaeus, be quiet? What if he became quiet? We would never know the story of Bartimaeus. Sometimes when we pray, we need to be aggressive in our prayers. You may have been praying. Any of you praying for a loved one to be saved? And you prayed like 99 times. Can I encourage you to pray 100? 
and 101 and 102 and 103 and 104 and don't give up. Don't give up. Eternity is way too long for us to give up. Heaven and hell is way too long for us to give up on our loved ones and praying for their salvation. If Bartimaeus had listened to the crowd, we would never know his story. But in verse 49, listen to this. Jesus stopped. (laughs) I love that verse. Jesus stopped and he said, call him. Jesus stopped. I got a question for you. Why did Jesus stop for Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus was probably not the only blind, sick, or needy person that Jesus passed by that day. He would have passed by hundreds. I think he stopped because of Bartimaeus' faith. You may say, what kind of faith did Bartimaeus have? Bartimaeus recognized that Jesus was God. The Messiah, the Son of David. And 2,000 years later, 2022, Jesus is still stopping for those who call on his name. In the midst of this crazy world that you and I are living in right now, where the crowd is so noisy and so distracting, Jesus is still stopping. Call him, said Jesus. Now, I love this transaction that takes place in the story. Bartimaeus is calling upon Jesus. And now Jesus is calling upon Bartimaeus. Verse 49 says, So the crowd said to the blind man, Cheer up! On your feet! He's calling you! Now, does anybody see the irony in this? In verse 48, the people are telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. Leave Jesus alone. Don't bother him. And now they're telling him, Cheer up! On your feet! One minute they're against you, and the next they're telling you to cheer up. Ever had that happen? You're not going to make it as a Christian. This is, you're just trying to get out of trouble. This is just jailhouse religion. It's all jailhouse religion because we're all in jail with our sin. <laughs> of course it is. You're not going to make it. I remember when I first started becoming a, when I was first missionary and trying to raise a budget, you know, people would say, ah, brother, I don't know if you're going to be able to raise your budget now. You've got to raise a lot of money. Now, don't get your hopes up. It's going to be hard to raise a budget. Like, that's a big number. You know, you think you can do it. I don't know if you can do it now. You know, then we raised our budget. Those very same people were like, I knew you could do it, brother. I was right behind you the whole time. I knew you was going to make it. I knew it was going to work out for you. I'm like, where was you? Where were you in the beginning? When I first became a pastor, man, you're talking about freaking people out. I was much more likely to be a bartender than a pastor. I always tell people, my wife grew up, like she was born like Mother Teresa. She grew up Catholic. And she was just like, that was her goal in life to be Mother Teresa. And I always tell people, God took a wannabe nun. She was going to be a nun. She went to the little, what do you call them schools? Like nunnery? Convent? Convents, yeah. I call it the nunnery school, but I don't know. The convent. She went to the convent, was going to enroll, but she felt like the Lord said, no, don't do it. And I grew up with a lifestyle that was more likely to make me a bartender. And I always say, God took a wannabe bartender, a wannabe nun, put them together, shuck them up, and out came two Pentecostals. As you know, he has a sense of humor. Don't let the crowd determine your walk with Jesus. When you make a mistake and the people say, I I knew it wasn't real, get back up and continue to walk with Jesus. There'll be more people in hell because of the opinions of others than for any other reason I know of. 
I remember when I first came to Christ, I thought, well, what would this guy think? Or what would these people think? I, to, to this day, I don't know what I was thinking to think that. But at the time, it was so powerful. Pure pressure, so powerful. So powerful. It's the way the enemy works. This is the way the enemy was trying to work in Bartimaeus's life. The crowd was telling him to be quiet. What does the crowd care? The enemy works through the crowd. And so for your own life, as you walk with Jesus, don't let the crowd determine your walk with God. You walk with him. You call out upon Jesus for whatever you need him to do in your life. The crowd today is trying to rebuke the church. And one day they're going to recognize their error. Call him. Call him, said Jesus. Now, I, I read this, and I'm thinking, Jesus, he's blind. And you're asking him to come to you. You should go to him. In spite of his pain, in spite of his blindness, he was asked by Jesus to come forward. And we are no different. We come to Christ with our pain. You got pain this morning? He's a pain taker. He can take that pain. But we have to respond to Christ. We have to bring our pain to him. Bartimaeus was blind, and yet Christ still said, come to me. Christ did not go to him. He had to come to Christ. And I've often said, if salvation is 100 steps, Jesus will take 99 of them. But that last step, he lets us take. It's our job to come to him. Verse 50 says, he threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus. Now, I don't believe that Mark just threw this phrase in for good measure. Words in Scripture are not wasted. They have meaning. And it says he threw his cloak aside. And I thought to him, thought, well, why do that? Why throw your cloak aside? Well, his cloak was a hindrance. It slowed him down. Before I came to Jesus, I had a lot of cloaks in my life. And the cloak was like a, like a, kind of like a coat. It wasn't like a, you know, it was like a coat that they would wear, you know, to sleep in at night and so forth. It's quite common for people to wear like a cloak. But it says he threw his cloak aside because and, and, and the, the cloak would have slowed him down. And, and as just mentioned, I had a lot of cloaks in my life. Before I came to Christ, I, you know, I, I had the cloak of wanting to live life my way. Anybody ever had that problem? When I first became a Christian, I, I remember praying a prayer of salvation. I used to watch the 700 Club. You familiar with that program? Back when Pat Robertson was a few years younger. But uh, at the very end of the prayer, uh, you know, Pat Robertson would always pray this prayer of salvation. If you want to know Christ, you know, uh, you know, surrender your life, say this prayer. And part of the prayer was always, Lord, I surrender my life to do with it as you wish, something like that. And I could never pray that part of the prayer because I wanted salvation. I wanted to know I was forgiven. I definitely didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven, but I kind of wanted to do things my way. I was afraid God would call me to be a missionary or something like that. God's got a sense of humor. What cloaks are in your life? Is there anything that's holding you back from jumping to your feet and coming to Jesus. Maybe it's unforgiveness. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but if you're not feeling close to the Lord, maybe there's some cloaks in your life right now that you just need to throw off. Maybe it's the cloak of unforgiveness. Maybe it's the cloak of anger. My goodness, if America has ever been angry, it is now. I come home every four years, it's like a whole new country. And I mean, there's a lot of angry people right now in this country. Maybe it's the cloak of doubt Maybe it's the cloak of frustration. 
I don't know what it is, but if there are cloaks in your life, I encourage you, throw those cloaks off so that you can come to Christ and be close to him. Verse 50 says, he jumped to his feet. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. When Jesus speaks, be quick to respond. Bartimaeus didn't say, well, hold on, Jesus. Let me get this worked out here. Let me check these emails, Lord. Uh, Lord, I need to go. Uh, oh, I got a roast in the oven, Lord. Let me go check that first. Uh, no, no. What does it say? He jumped to his feet quickly when the Lord called him. May we be like Bartimaeus. When Jesus speaks, be quick to respond. Be quick to respond. When we are quick to respond, the Lord will reward us. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 51, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? And the blind man said, Rabbi, your will be done. No, he didn't say that. He said, I want to see. He was very specific. He said, Lord, I want to see. It's okay to tell Jesus what you want him to do for you. And I'll tell you, Jesus will either say yes, he'll either say no, or he'll either say wait. But he will always answer our prayers if we will seek him. And if he says no, it's because he's got something better in store. We prayed for my mother to be healed of cancer, and for whatever reason, God said no. And now that I've been a Christian now for 20-plus years, I think I know why he said no, because he had something much better in store for her. She's, not, uh, she's very grateful to have not been healed. But I've often asked, why did Jesus ask Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Why did he say that? Why did he say, what do you want me to do for you? He already knew what Bartimaeus wanted. What Jesus wanted from Bartimaeus was for him to ask in faith. If Jesus asked you this morning, what do you want me to do for you? How would you respond? This morning, he sees you. He knows you. If he said this morning, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Bartimaeus' response was simple and to the point. When Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. I want to see. He didn't go into great detail about all of his past well, I've been blind for 27 years, and this happened, that happened. He just was very, he just said, I want to see. Sometimes we feel like we've got to explain everything to Jesus, don't we? Well, Jesus, I went through this, and I went through this, and I went through that. No, Jesus, I just want to be set free. <laughs> I just want to be set free. You know all the junk. You know all the garbage. You know all the trash. You know all the bad relationships. Jesus, I just want to be set free. I just want to see you for who you are. I just want to see, is what Bartimaeus said. And then Jesus prayed this very long prayer. No, he didn't, did he? What did he say? Go. Go. Your faith has healed you. <laughs> and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And I love this. It said, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. It wasn't the faith of the crowd. Boy, they were not, they were not on his team until Jesus called him. It wasn't the faith of the disciples. It was the faith of Bartimaeus. And what faith did Bartimaeus have? He believed Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he rose from the grave three days later? That he now sits at the right hand of the Father? If you believe that, guess what? You have great faith. You don't have to get yourself worked up. You don't have to go on a 40-day fast. 
I've often wondered, what does it mean to have great faith? You know, growing up, Pente or been Pente in Pentecostal churches for the last 20 years, you know, what does it mean to have great faith? You know what it is? It's believing that Jesus was who he said he was. And if you believe that, you've got as much faith as any of those faith healers you'll see on fake CBN or any of those, I'm sorry, sorry, didn't say that, any of those, uh, not see, uh, TBN or any of those guys, you know, just have faith to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And if you believe that, you've got great faith. Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Jesus didn't stop for Bartimaeus because he was blind. He stopped for Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus called upon Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus doesn't respond to need alone. If he responded to need alone, Bartimaeus was blind. He had a need. He wanted to see. But if he responded to need alone, all the needs would have in the world would have already been met by now. What does Jesus respond to? Not need, but faith in him. Faith in him. We often sometimes ask questions like, God, the world is so messed up. Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you do something about this? Why don't you do something about this? We're not responding to him. He doesn't respond to need. He responds to faith in him. And when Jesus touches a person, he not only changes their life, but their identity as well. He was called blind Bartimaeus, but now they just call him Bartimaeus. He has a whole new identity. And now that you've been touched by Christ, you don't go back to your old life. You don't go back to your old blind ways. You are now a follower of Christ. And the last verse in this story says, Bartimaeus followed Jesus along the road. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. All we are left with was a blind man who can now see that is now following Jesus. And that's all you and I are, are blind people touched by Jesus that are now following him. And if you've stumbled along the road, get back up and continue to follow him. In this community, there are hundreds of blind Bartimaeuses sitting on the side of the road begging, looking for something. And I would suspect probably the vast majority of you in this church this morning are followers of Christ. I encourage you. I know your lives are busy. Jesus had a busy life as well. I encourage you, stop. They may not call out to your name and say, hey, I'm blind, I need you. They may not call out your personal name, but you know when people are hurting. If it's ever a time that, that this, our community, our state, our nation, if it's ever a time we needed spirit-filled believers, sensitive to the spirit, looking for hurting people, it is now. Blind Bartimaeuses can be messy. They can be noisy. They can be drug addicts. They can be drunkards. They can be thieves. They can be everything <laughs> under the sun. And yet Christ is asking you and I to stop. Just like he did in this story, it says he stopped for Bartimaeus. He's asking us to stop, to slow down just enough to reach people for him. And when reaching people for Jesus is like nothing else that can compare 
seen a soul come to know the Lord because of an influence that you've had in their lives. Maybe you invited them to church. Maybe you gave them a hug. Maybe you said a prayer for them. Maybe you, you just encouraged them. But knowing that someone came to Christ because of your efforts, because of things that you have done in their lives, nothing will set your life on fire knowing that God is using you. So this week, I encourage you to stop for the blind Bartimaeuses, and they may not be physically blind, but you know what I'm talking about, the people who are spiritually blind this week that need Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful group of people that you've brought here this morning. And I just pray that you would touch each person in a special and unique way, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are so good to us. That you love us, that you care for us, and that, Lord, you stop for the, the blind Bartimaeus, the people, the nobody, the nobodies. Lord, you're still stopping. And, Lord, I'm in a room full of nobodies, including myself. We're just nobodies. And yet, Lord, you stopped for each one of us on the day we called upon you. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that if there's any among us who are sick in our bodies, who need a touch from you, Lord, that you would touch us this morning. I pray this in your name, Jesus. If there's anybody here that you're sick in your body, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but if you're praying for God to touch you, touch your body, can you just, can you just stand up? I don't want to embarrass you, but just as an act of faith, you know, Bartimaeus had to come forward, didn't he? He had to come forward. So if you're sick in your body and you're praying for God to touch you this morning, can you just stand up? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you from here. I won't come bother you or come, come, you know, I won't come to your seat. I won't harass you is what I'm trying to say. I just want to pray for you. But you're sick in your body and you need God to touch you. Just stand up right now and I'm going to pray for you right now. Just trust that God will heal you. Everybody's whole. Everybody's healthy. All right. Praise God. I got a few. Okay. That's great. Now I want to also ask, if you're, if you're praying for the salvation of a loved one, you're praying for the salvation of a loved one. I want you to stand up. I want to pray for you, for that loved one right now. If you're in a situation that's just, you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know. If God doesn't move, it's just not going to work out. The marriage is going to end. The family is going to break up. You're going to lose the job. The, there's going to be a foreclosure on your house or what have you. If you're in an impossible situation right now, I want you to stand up. I just want to pray for you. Amen. Jesus, I thank you, Father, for each person that has stood up, Lord, and that they are coming to you, Father. Lord, I just pray for those, first of all, who are sick in their body, God. Lord, I just pray for tendons and ligaments and cartilage. Lord, I just pray for bones, Lord, to be lined up. I pray for clear thinking, God. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name for emotional health, Father, and physical health, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just speak the blood of Jesus. We just speak the blood of Jesus over every ailment in this church this morning, God, that you would touch those who are sick in their body, Father, and that you would do a great work, Father, and that, Lord, they would know that they've been touched by the Master, Father. Lord, you said to Bartimaeus, go, your faith has healed you, Lord. And this morning, Lord, we are just speaking that same word that, 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 that as, as we go out of this church, that your people would be healed and be set free from whatever sickness, whatever ailment that they may have this morning, Father. Lord, we just speak that in the name of Jesus, Father. Now, Lord, I speak over those who are praying for a loved one to be saved. 
Lord, I think about my grandmother and my mother who prayed for me all those years. And there are those this morning who are praying for a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a father, a mother, a relative, a, a, a spouse to come to know you. And I pray this morning, God, that, Lord Jesus, you would touch every soul that is represented here this morning, every person that has stood up that is praying for a loved one. I pray right now, Father, that you just send your angels to them right now, Jesus, and that you would minister to them and you would touch them. And that, Lord, just like you made me miserable, <laughs> Lord, you made me miserable before I came to know you, Lord. Or I, I just pray that, Lord, there would just be a, a holy discontent among all those that are being prayed for this morning and that they would find no refuge in anything other than you, Jesus. So I just pray for all the lost souls, Lord, that we are praying for this morning, God, that are represented by the church members here at the bridge, God, that you would bring them into a saving grace of who you are, Father. Now, Lord, I pray for all those who are in, they're in impossible situations, the marriage, the relationships, the co-workers, the jobs, the finances, Lord, and they may be beating themselves up and say, well, I'm in this because of the decisions I made. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Lord Jesus, you know every situation. And I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would touch these impossible situations, Lord. Bartimaeus had an impossible situation. The doctors couldn't heal him. The medicine couldn't heal him. It was only by your hand, God. And Lord, we know you laid the foundations of the earth, Lord Jesus. And so I pray right now over every impossible situation, Lord. If there's an addiction, Lord, or whatever it may be, God, that Lord, you would just break that stronghold, God, and that you would bring peace and relief, and that you bring security, and that you would bring resolution, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just bring resolution to this to this this very difficult situation, Lord. And I just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You can be seated. As I was praying, I just sensed the Lord saying there's going to be some breakthrough in some of your families. I just sense that there's going to be unity in some of your families like you've never had before. And it's, been, it's going to be because of your walk with Christ. I'll just share a brief story. I know it's hot. But, you know, my wife has grown up in a family that was, by and large, most of them are not Christians. But, but over the years, and we were actually ridiculed by some of my wife's family for becoming missionaries. And, 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 and now, fast forward about 15 years later, God is doing a work in her life. It's taken a while, but God is doing a work in my wife's family, and many of them are now much more tender towards the things of God than they've ever been. And I just sense that something's going to happen in some of your families. Uh, that crazy old uncle you never thought was going to get saved is going to get saved, all right? And uh, there's going to be people in your family that are going to come to know Jesus because of your witness, because you stayed the course. God bless you guys.